shooting out sparks over 38 states, the Canadian plains, and the tequila fields of Mexico. A program most deserving of a grand introduction. The Nocturnal Journal. The talk of the town. WGN Radio 720. With your guide, Dave Hoekstra. Daytime turns me off and I don't need maybe. Okey-dokey. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us on a three-hour New Year's night, Nocturnal Journal tonight. Um, we've got a lot going on. In the 9 to 10 hour, we're going to have a live performance uh, from Mary Lane, blues singer with uh, special guest Billy Branch on harmonica. We're going to talk about Molly. Is it Chicago blues dancing? Mostly blues, yeah. We can talk a little bit about swing and how they're related as well. But uh, yeah, my friend Sarah's on talking about blues. So dancing. that'll precede Mary Lane, and then we got our friend Nora Barton coming in, for, and her friends from Feed Restaurant uh, in Humboldt Park. Molly McGowan's going to be our sidekick tonight. Thanks Hi there. For, thanks for joining us, Molly. Oh, You've been it's on the my show pleasure. before, yeah. And our first guest, since it's New Year's Day, and it's supposed to bring good fortune, and also since I was at a Black Eyed Peas party before this. We're going to talk about the uh, history of Black Eyed Peas and why Black Eyed Peas are supposed to bring good luck on New Year's uh, New Year's Day. So in the studio, we have in order Katherine Lambrecht of the Greater Midwest Foodways Alliance, who brought some Black Eyed Peas. I sure did. Thank you. Recipe you, from Southern Living. <laughs> you've been on the show before. <laughs> Charlotte Draper. Charlotte. Hi. Formerly of... Um, Southern Living Magazine. And Ebony. And Ebony. Ebony, right. And we also have Donald Battle Pierce, culinary historian, author. So thank you all for joining us. So start off with why are we talking about black eyed peas on New Year's Day? Well, black eyed peas. And this is Charlotte okay. Draper. Mm-hmm. Black eyed peas are traditionally eaten on New Year's Day, they're considered good luck. And uh, for some reason, they have been equated with coins coin money, and um, usually they're paired with greens, which represent folding money. Right. So everybody wants to have good luck and lots of money in the new year. And um, what, are the, what are the roots of them? I mean, talk about the migratory path. I mean, I've, heard, I've read all kinds of stuff. I read Thomas Jefferson. I mean, how far do they go back? Well, actually, black eyed peas originated in Asia mm-hmm. over in China, and they were brought to this country typically on slave ships when people were brought to the United States. Thomas Jefferson did have black IP plants at his uh, plantation in Virginia, and they have been used to feed um, livestock. So during the Civil War, they were not destroyed. However, they're a very healthy food, and they really sustained people after the Civil War, when so many people were impoverished, as well as the freed slaves. And they travel. That sounds that sounds great. Yes. That's yeah. nice yeah. to know that they can go from one place to another and survive different climates. Yes, they are. They're very versatile, and they can be used in hot dishes, cold dishes, soups, stews, salad, and they can even be roasted and served as a snack. Catherine. Yes. What's in the recipe? Talk about the recipe you brought in tonight, and then let's talk about variations on that recipe. There's probably not just one way to do black-eyed peas. Well, this was your basic... Well, let me tell you. 
going to look for black eyed peas on New Year's Day is not a good idea. Uh-huh. They're gone. Uh-huh. And so the only thing I picked up was canned. But I adapted the recipe. It was from Southern Living. It was classic Hoppin' John. And it was uh, bacon that you cooked for a while. And then you added onions, pepper, um, some celery, some seasonings. And then you poured off some of the liquid and used that to cook the rice and then mix the two together at the very end. So it would have been better two hours ago, but uh-huh. what you have is what you have. Uh-huh. Are there different variations to the recipe? Yes. Okay. There, there are Donna? lots and yeah. lots. And there are lots that are being developed in there. Uh, I think of the <clears throat> the legends about where they came from and why. One of the things that, that I, as I look for soul food and uh, food with that's cultural it means so much more to to us as a culture to black people and as a culture than just something to eat or as a legend or something to read in a in an old book for a long time those um definitions or those places weren't cited or they were just you know it, it was not as important as other historical information so um for me for instance Hoppin' John, the name of the dish. I had a Mari Evans, who was a Negro um, who came from the movement that uh, in the 60s, and she was my teacher in black studies at IU back in the 70s, and she said, that name is not a name that our people would have ever called. And whenever I see it, I think of that. I remember she said, a, a, a black waiter hopping along with oversized lips and whatever, we think of black-eyed peas so much more spiritually, uh-huh. and yeah. they're so much more important than that. And so, uh, you know, and you can you'll see sometimes it's still called that, but you'll see a lot of. And and I in, in early days I would find I would be thrilled to find any information I could find, and I would recite that as if that were real history. But I think what's happening right now is a lot of our history about food is being reevaluated and really being well researched. Language, I mean, I, again, I, I, Hoppin' John's became uh, Skip and Jenny's. I read that. Yeah. What happened there? Leftovers. Left, that was leftovers? <laughs> the, day after, uh, the day after the New Year's. Yeah, the day after the New Year's? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are these, are there, um, for all of us here, are there strong memory pulls to this? Do you remember the first experience you had with this, with a grandmother, with a mother, uh, sitting around the table? What, what are the memories of Black Eyed Peas? Well, I think yeah. they are um, a traditional family recipe that are often served, certainly on New Year's Day. I was uh, chatting with some folks at a new soul food restaurant, and one of the people said, well, they always had the black-eyed peas, but they also had sauerkraut and Polish sausage, which was surprising to me. But as I got into the research, I realized that that wasn't so atypical and very consistent with parts of the Midwest as well as the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch and Germans in West Virginia and also in Pennsylvania. And when you take a look at the other kinds of foods that people eat on New Year's Day, like herring or corned beef and cabbage and the pork and cabbage and sauerkraut, these kinds of things, it isn't something that's inexpensive to give away. But you can make a whole lot of Hop and John or Black Eyed Peas and be part of a festive atmosphere and not break the bank. Molly. I remember, like, you're from Vermont, right? Yeah. Was there a, 
was was there a black eyed peas scene up there? What was your first? What, no, what was your, no, 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 no. That would be a good Ben not. and Jerry ice cream. Yeah, we, I mean, I'm trying to think. I know around the holidays we would usually do chocolate bread pudding, but uh-huh. there wasn't any significance to that. We just liked it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And my, my family's from Mobile and in, in oh, New Orleans, yeah. uh-huh. and we had. Uh, I don't think I've ever had. I've never had a New Year's uh, Day without black-eyed peas, and but my grandmother added gumbo to that as well. Mm. But I think that's just because she wanted our family to always have gumbo, and it's always good luck. But I, I was in Paris about ten years ago uh-huh. and scared to death that I wasn't going to be able to find black-eyed peas. And uh, with my son, Monique Wells, who writes about history and black history in Paris and lives in there, brought me some (laughs) because I had to have a bite. Um, Are there what are the health benefits to black eyed peas? Well, they're one of uh, they're certainly a very nutritious food. They are not a complete protein. But once you pair them with rice, you do have a complete protein an excellent source of fiber, and they are uh, carbohydrate, which, again, is a good source of energy. And when you think of feeding people who were enslaved and or impoverished, that's what you wanted, something that was going to give you a lot of energy over a longer period of time. So it was an excellent food source. Do you know if there's any like relationship between black eyed peas and other types of bean well, or legumes? Black eyed peas actually are a bean, contrary to their name. They are <laughs> they are a bean and they're in the legume family. So they have that um legume bean connection. Like so many other beans, they're high high in fiber, good source of energy, carbohydrate. And again, when you pair them with rice, that'll give you a complete protein. I'm just thinking I spent some time in East Africa, actually, mm-hmm. and um, pigeon peas were like yes. the most nutritious mm-hmm. bean we could get or legume that we could get there. I hear it most often described as related to mung beans. Yes, that goes back to the connection uh, from China. They are related to the mung bean, as Donna said. And they also, uh, black-eyed peas are also considered uh, cow pea or a pigeon pea. So there is that connection in the bean family. Okay, we've got to take a break. I want to come back and talk about the future of this, like with vegan soul food and things like that, where this is going to go, and, and also other New Year's traditions. We'll talk about that. So don't go away on Nocturnal Journal on WGN. Let's just play that for a while. The JBs. We're talking about Black Eyed Peas on Nocturnal Journal with Molly McGowan, our sidekick tonight. And on our panel, we got Catherine Lambrecht of the Greater Midwest Foodways Alliance, Charlotte Draper, I have here formerly of Ebony, but more than that, and Donna Pierce, Donna Battle Pierce, author, culinary historian. Um, you know, I mean, they're served with ham hocks sometimes. Yep. And, and when I did the book on soul food a few years ago, I mean, there was just this movement just starting with vegan soul food. I think it's really exploding now. Maybe we can touch on that, too. But you, how do you see this falling into the modernization of, of, of soul food and soul food moving away from some of the traditions. Well, there's always, always been, um, you know, vegetarian soul food. Yeah. 
uh, not vegan necessarily, but they've always been. And it's always been healthier, I think, than it's been given credit for. Elaborate on that. The fact that uh, so many vegetables, that meat wasn't a big part of everything. It wasn't like big steaks and big roasts and whatever. If meat was involved, it was uh, oftentimes, for economy, it was often just a small amount of it. And um, when you talk about the meat in the um, in the uh, black-eyed peas, you know, it depends on the region and whatever. And I know that um, with the ham hocks, the, the smoked turkey. Mm-hmm. And then I use, uh, my family uses the ch- smoked Spanish chorizo because it's the most similar that you can find out, outside of the South to, um, to the uh, Creole sauce. I see. Oh, I see. Good. I see. Yeah, elaborate on that. Well, I think that certainly soul food traditionally has not included a lot of meat items. The meat just wasn't typically available to so many uh, the African Americans. And um, people learned to make do with what they had. They learned to flavor, whether it was the... Um, black-eyed peas or red beans and rice, whatever bean they were cooking with, they learned to flavor with lots of spices and seasonings, and they learned how to extend the amount that they had. So the fact that it's become very popular for vegans or vegetarians at this time really is not surprising. It's, it's sort of a natural in your circles, do you just hear more people talking about black eyed peas, or it's always been on the, on the radar? Always. My friend and I, she's been having a party <laughs> for a long time. You know? right. yeah, always. Yeah, always, yeah, always, yeah, always, always, yeah. always on the radar. But you said there was a run on them tonight to, to find <laughs> no, some. Well, there's always yeah, been a run always, on them, always, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I just and say how delicious these were? The Excellent. <laughs> best recipe. Yeah, we're passing, uh, passing around, like that song said, pass them around. <laughs> you, you know, there, there, you had some kick to this. Talk about yeah, what there's, there's a little a, bit of cayenne in there. Uh huh. That's only a quarter teaspoon. Yeah. That's not very much, but the kick is present. Did the recipe call for that, or did you? Yes, add it, it did. Now we're going to try to get that recipe posted on the podcast so uh, listeners can can see it. Yes. Is that okay? Yeah, that's that fine. Okay. Southern now, Living would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now I know a little bit about this, but talk about you. You told me about this, Ken. The uh, the Black Eyed Peas Appreciation Society, 1937, where you joined for a, a dollar, for a, penny, a penny, a penny. A okay, penny. talk talk about that. So there was this guy named Elmore Torn, and he was from East Texas. And he came and learned about the Black Eyed Peas and the tradition of of uh, good luck it brings. And he called them Lucky Peas. And, you know, this was the 1937. We're talking the Depression era still. And they were looking for anything that would add value to agricultural stuff they started marketing black eyed peas heavily and it got to the point where even Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Kate Smith were talking about eating their lucky black eyed peas on New Year's Day it was a very active campaign and it really I would say probably put black eyed peas on the map relative to our culture today um, in, this, in these, some of these notes, there were these uh, oil men who uh, went to Vegas and they had what, black eyed peas for breakfast in the morning, and they uh, they won over ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that, that really <laughs> sold the idea yeah. that they were lucky. I don't know if you want to see this? Yeah. So that you maybe that kind of started the whole popularization thing. I would think so. Uh-huh. Mass Cro- market crossover, maybe, yeah, right. crossover yeah. from yeah. black culture. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was probably one of those things that was little known outside of the black culture. Right, and that's great because it. Well, in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, better to be known than not known. Yeah. Um, Cash had a question. Um, good question, too. Best way to grow them. Charlotte, you want to take that? Well, I've not grown any personally, but they are one of the uh, crops that are very beneficial to the soil. They add nitrogen to the soil, and that would be um, beneficial for other food items that grow in that same plot of land. Mung beans are pretty easy to sprout, at least, I imagine. Yeah, I I think it's funny. My dad was uh, in Tuskegee and studied the last few years of George Washington Carver. And he was, but he was a city kid who went there and fell in love with agriculture. So we always had a giant garden growing up. And he could never grow black. Really? That, that was in, where was that, in Mobile? In Missouri. Wow. Oh, yeah. really, in Missouri? We were first-generation Great Migration, my sisters and brother and myself. We, they moved to Columbia, oh, okay. the center of the state. Yeah. And, and he tried, he grew everything else. He grew sweet potatoes, he grew ton. you know, but he, he never could, could have a successful crop. Wow, wow. Um, so, three, this might be tough. Three facts about black eyed peas that people don't know. What the the whole uh, marketing thing was one thing I didn't know. But what what's what's an obscure fact about them? They're originally from China and are related to the mung bean. Yeah. And oh, so we have two. Could they also be related to the soybean too? Because there's soybeans that have that black eye, and there are soybeans that don't. I didn't see that in any of the stuff I read in the past few days. But that doesn't mean they're not connected somewhere in that bean family. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What else, Donna? One of the things I read about um, why, how they survived when they were used a lot for animal feed as well. And when, the, when Sherman marched through the South and destroyed crops, one of the crops that he didn't destroy were the black-eyed peas. Mm-hmm. And then everybody who was so impoverished, and that's where cross-culturally they became popular, started to realize these are pretty tasty. And so that was a, a way that they, um, they survived all of that or they passed on. The cross-cultural thing, we've got to break for the news in a minute, but um, the shared heritage is, is really important. There's a quote here uh, from Mashana Bailey. It was in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago. She has a restaurant in Savannah, like, a broader reach through a broader table, you know. So the fact that people are talking about this. And, it's and a like, wonderful, I agree, but I agree that also what's missing is attribution. Okay, uh-huh. And also co-opting some of the things. One of the only things when you think, when I, one of the reasons I got so involved with soul food was because we didn't have names. We had names that were given to us. We didn't have a lot of history at the time. We didn't have a lot of anything else. But food was one of the things that all black people could share in common. So instead of it being a joke, that always bothers me when it becomes something, a toss-off or whatever, because it's a very significant cultural part for us of joining people together when i've done food books um one one thing i get a kick out of and i don't know how much this has been in your research is just finding the old handwritten recipes it really really resonates with me to have someone go through their files or go up in the attic or go in the basement and find the recipes that were handed down do you see that with this yes i do except for the fact too when people will say the first recipe was printed in this book you know, people maybe forget that it was illegal for blacks to learn how to read and write. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. a lot of times these things were conveyed, but they were not because somebody 
came up, you know, in her uh, parlor with this idea or cooked it in her kitchen, it was almost always gotten from the African-Americans that were... I think I heard uh, just the other day on the radio that um, people sometimes put a dime in it. Is that a new yes. phenomenon, or is that a That's l- a real old tradition? one. That's okay. a very old one. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break for the news. I'm going to keep you on for a little bit. I want to talk, and, uh, and then we're going to um, talk. Uh, I want to talk about your own projects. You can plug what you're doing, and then um, we'll talk a little bit more about soul food and uh, southern food. So don't go away on Nocturnal Journal. What you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk inside that trunk. I'ma get, 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 get you drunk. Get you love drunk off my hump. What you gonna do with all that ass? All that ass inside the jeans. I'ma make, 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 make you scream. Make you scream, make you scream. Cause of my hump. My hump, my hump, my hump. My hump, my hump, my hump. My lovely lady lumps. Check it out. I met a girl down at the disco. She said, hey, 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 yeah, let's go. Okay. Hey, Nora Barton, you know, that's the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, boy, I love that. <laughs> so welcome back to uh, Nocturnal Journal. We're talking about Black Eyed Peas with Molly McGowan, our sidekick tonight. Woohoo! Thanks for joining us, Molly. <laughs> Catherine Lambrecht of Greater Midwest Foodways Alliance. Charlotte, Charlotte Draper. I'm going to give right. you just give it another... Uh, background thing besides what i've been saying of ebony magazine well i have a blog yeah. called chow chow and soul right that takes up a fair amount of time yeah. so uh that keeps me busy and donna battle pierce right well let's go around the table i want to talk about um like i said soul food and, and southern food but let, let's find out what you guys are out doing and plug your projects so donna what have you been up to well i am um and actually i'm a former assistant food editor at the Tribune, Chicago Tribune, and test kitchen director. And I I find what's so beautiful as a journalist is that I combine my cooking and I test recipes, and when I do that, my writing is so much better. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working on a a book about Frida DeKnight and great migration recipes. And these are people that, uh, what happened with Southern food outside of the South? And how they changed, and how they, and how some things are more representative of old school traditions because they came here and stayed just the way they were, as opposed to evolving, you know, in the South. Give us, give me an example of that. Of one of the ones that yeah, did. Yeah. I remember uh, oxtail. Uh, we had a conference when Edna Stewart from Edna's was still yeah. alive. Uh-huh. And I loved her so much, and what an amazing woman. And uh, at her restaurant, Southern Foodways came up, John T. Edge and different yeah. others. And we and everybody agreed, this is more, this is like the historic taste. And it's because she had it from a recipe that had been a family recipe, and in Chicago wasn't as challenged as it was as a chef would change, or, and as a Savannah chef uh that you know evolved and changed and kind of uh, she kept it the old way. Charla, well, I swear you've been on the show before, but you haven't. Well, I can come back and visit another <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I have a I have a blog, Chow Chow and Soul, and uh, what I try to do with my blog is imper- encourage people to cook with confidence as they're cooking or creating or remaking a family recipe i want people to feel confident as they're moving forward to create new family memories and one of the things that um i did in preparation for today's show was a very quick qualitative survey on what people ate for uh, new year's day 
and most people that responded do eat greens of some sort. Uh, primarily collard greens, but people do eat a blend of mustard greens, kale, turnip greens. And I also had about 10% of the respondents ate okra as well as eating um, sauerkraut, which was surprising. And it was abundantly clear that most of my respondents did eat pork, again, a food that's associated with richness uh, because Pork generally is a fatty food. What about pickled herring? Well, pickled herring is considered one of the lucky, one yeah. a lucky food, and uh, that silver color of the herring is equated with uh, silver and wealth or riches, money. So again, that's the connection with the pickled herring. But I didn't have that question in my survey. Okay. <laughs> I think I do remember being really young um, in like third grade-ish and there was a discussion of these types of traditions and pickled Mm -hmm. herring was one that was brought up. And the sauerkraut and and the cabbage, I think of as Baltimore for some reason. I remember, I wonder if those respondents came from Baltimore and from that area. Well, I think some of the connection with the sauerkraut and the Polish sausage is uh, could very well be back in days when people were actually mining. Like, I have a cousin who lived in a mining town, and they had, um, they were like shotgun houses, and the family next door was Polish. And he said he could speak Polish better than he could speak English up until the time <laughs> he went to school. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, what, what's up with you? Oh, well, uh, I've been working on a, uh Illinois Bicentennial Project, which finished yesterday because it had to finish yesterday because I needed a copyright for 2018. Oh, really? The Bicentennial of <laughs> Illinois was 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do it 2019. And it's a collection of recipes and histories that we obtained via a family heirloom recipe contest at the Illinois State Fair for the last 10 years. But I was thinking about your comment, Donna, about the uh, about Edna's and the food. Right. Um, one thing that has happened, for instance, the Polish, let, I'll just give this an example, but the Polish community here in Chicago serves food that is old-timey and largely unknown back in the old country. It's kind of like there's that tradition, though, that immigrant family, these are that food that meant a lot to us. Right. And we pass it on to our family, and it becomes part of the family tradition. But then you get the outsider who's coming from Poland, and it's like, gee, I haven't seen that in our place in years. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're almost, when you're isolated, like Edna was, in a sense, from the Southern culture, you know, right. you sometimes hold on to things mm-hmm. that other mm-hmm. people have tried it and now moved on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention, too, my sure. Skillet Diaries. Mm-hmm. Skillet Diaries and Black America Cooks are the two places where, and I have a not-for-profit where I join seniors with kids, 
and the, and the kids we talk about journalism and how to how to do biographies and do those type of things. And the seniors share their recipes and their oh, stories. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Yeah. How can people find out about that? Oh, you can do it from uh, Skillet Diaries or, or Black America Cooks. And are there websites for that? I have a link. Yeah, there are, that, those are the websites. Okay. SkilletDiaries.com and BlackAmericaCooks.com. Well, how, how long have you been doing the stuff with the kids? I've been doing that. I did it with the city about four years ago. And now I do it in small groups and schools and whatever else. It's one of the ways, for me... Um, even if you just have, even if make this recipe once a year, to save this recipe and to understand then how how important those memories are is very important. All you guys, I mean the the path that we touched on it earlier, but the uh, I brought Edna Lewis in here, but I'm not going to refer to it yet. Don't uh, what's the place up in Andersonville? They're they're old disciples of them. Uh, big um, Big Jones. Big Jones. Yeah, mm-hmm. they use this as a thing. Talk about the migratory pass. We, t- we we touched on that, but that's that's just essential to our conversation. Elaborate on that. Right, the people from the um, from the south in a, a lot of ways that that came up at different times. Um, my family in the fifties came up from, and it began though at with the um, at, at the turn of the century. Before then, <coughs> as people would leave, uh, often awful conditions to come. My parents were both college graduates, and they left because they wanted their children not to be a part of segregation. And they decided they were leaving all the stuff they had behind to do that. And so, what they did too is it was hard to find food. Mm-hmm. And so, when my mother wanted to make gumbo. All she had in Columbia, Missouri at the AMP were the little frozen shrimp, and she would have she didn't have filet. So my grandparents, when they would come to visit us on the train, they would come with giant coolers, you know, of, of oysters and crab and shrimp, and my parents were thrilled. And they would tell us maybe we would want something else to eat because they wanted to eat all of it. But no, we would all have the big gumbo. Yeah, right. I mean, it really does take you to uh, right. another place. And that's the great migration. A lot of things changed. A lot. There were. There's a cookbook written in 1926 of um, 13 black women in Montana, and there are places you don't you don't realize that here are people, and that was part of the movement that uh, it it went on to California. Eventually, a lot of those families moved on, but there there were people all over the country. That were there and bringing food that they had grown up with that was important to them. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Um, in the time we have left, I kind of want to set up, set the table for the uh, next. <laughs> I'm glad you got that for the next discussion. Um, and it's, it's something that people talk about. I mean, what's the difference between? I've been teasing this throughout the segment between soul food and and southern food. Uh, I mean, and some of the, our guests uh, coming up are, are from Feed and Humboldt Park, and uh, you know, it's southern food, chicken shack stuff. Is there a big difference between soul food and and southern food, or are they the same thing, just under a different name? I think that many of the foods that are under the southern food umbrella traditionally, they. I mean, so many. African Americans were from the South. Mm-hmm. So there is that crossover and intertwining of the foods. But when you say soul food, you know, I just feel like that has a lot more of the family connection and emotion tied in with the food and with the meal. Because certainly a meal is um, really an opportunity to sit down 
and exchange information and ideas and make connections with your family members or even your ancestors. So that's kind of my interpretation of what soul food is. What do you think of all these um, like celebrity chefs and uh, new restaurants that are coming up that are getting like Bib Gourmand um, types of awards and things uh, that have you know come come from roots uh, foods or Mm -hmm. southern foods? Well as Nana mentioned I do think it's important that where the food comes from that there is that attribution as to the history of the food and certainly when um, people receive awards and acclamation about the food or their menu if they're not people of color they should recognize well this originally started with people of color and we adapted it or We've made a few changes, but I do want to give credit to the beginnings where the food came from and where it started. That would really be the thing to do. Who's doing that well, would you say? The attribution? Yeah. I think Big Jones does a good job here in the city. And the food is pretty phenomenal at his restaurant. Jennifer Booker's coming there. And at the end of this month, who's a black chef in uh, Atlanta, who's coming there to cook and to talk about that. Do you have a second for one thing about soul food, though? Oh, yeah, sure. Car- uh, Carla Hall's new book. And Carla Hall, at the very beginning, kept saying that, no, she didn't really. She was kind of general and whatever. And, and her recent transformation with the soul food cookbook that she wrote. She said something that Frida DeKnight said back in the um, in 1948 when she wrote her book, By Us for us was her and Carla said the same thing and she said soul food is cooked by black people that's the difference it can be anything it's not a specific dish it's not necessarily this but and I all I used always say in my presentations imagine Reba McIntyre sings um, respect yeah and Aretha right. Franklin and to me, that's the difference. But that's a difference of soul. Food. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't see Paula Dean doing soul. <laughs> but no, that's a whole other subject. Oh, yeah, I, I like to be. But yeah, Big Jones. They do a great job of, of uh, talking about Edna Lewis up there. He's been on the show, and you know they start talking about. What and he's from Southern Indiana. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we did when I did the research uh, on my book, I would go around and talk to people about what what is soul. And one of the common, just because I like soul music. And one of the common responses I got was, you know, soul is from the heart, soul is love. And that mm-hmm. that can come through, in, obviously, in, in the food, right? True, very yeah. true. Yeah. What else, uh, in the time we have left, which is not much, but um, any other, What's what else is happening with soul food restaurants here? I mean, you mentioned Big Jones, and what's Big it seem like? Big Jones is not really a soul yeah, food right. restaurant. Yeah, right. Well, it's Southern food. Right. Yeah. What, 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 what's the scene like here? Where where else would you go? There's a new restaurant in Hyde Park, Virtue Soul Food, and um, I have not had an opportunity to eat there yet, but I did spend some time at the restaurant about a week ago, and I found the people very warm and hospitable, so I'm looking forward to dining with Virtue next week. And they're in Hyde Park? Yes. Yes. Is Soul Veg still open? On the far south side, soul vegetarian. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They're doing okay. But a lot of the classic soul food places are gone, aren't they? 
Well, I think the ones that traditionally there weren't as many options for eating you like Isolas and um Edna's and um I miss Army and Lou's and Army and Lou's and, yeah. and what was the one that was in Bronzeville uh that so many of the celebrities went to when they came to town. They were on I Indiana. I used Gladys's. to keep, I used to oh, keep Gladys's, track yeah. in Waukegan there used to be a number of soul food restaurants. But they would kept coming and going so fast I kinda gave up on the project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's to talk a about Black Eyed Peas on mm-hmm. New Year's night. Thank you, Donna Battle Pierce. Thank you, Charlotte Draper. Thank you, Dave. Catherine Lambrecht. Thanks You're for welcome. bringing in the food. You're welcome, and you got my book in yeah, that disc. And come back and talk about that sometime. Great. We'll be back with uh, Nora Barton and some music and stuff about feed after this on WGN.